The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop being such a control freak and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 187 with guest Miguel Castro, recorded live Friday, July 28, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of controls for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who told me in confidence that he's going back to Quick Basic 4.5, Carl Franklin! Hello again. Welcome to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. I'm here in New London, Connecticut. Hey, you know where that is? It's halfway between Boston and New York, right on the coastline. And this is show number 187 with guest Miguel Castro, as Jeff just mentioned. Richard Campbell, how are you, sir? I am well. My co-host, of course. I've almost got my office back. What can I tell you? Really? Yep. Almost. Almost. Carpet's in. The uh, cabinetry's all in. We're getting the wiring finished up today. The countertops, the desktops go in uh, uh, in a couple of days. A little bit of paint fix up, and we'll be done. I'll start moving gear back in. Awesome. Well, you know, you're moving in. I'm preparing to move out. Um Basically, we're in an old building, turn of the century, the last, the second turn of the century ago, you know, the 1999. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful that whole turn of the century thing. We've had a couple. The 1800s to 1900s is what I'm talking about. Uh, it's more like a 1921 building, 22, something like that. And it's got nice high ceilings and wood floors and stuff, but the windows are falling out and the elevator's making noises that you really don't want. You know, character is a good thing in a building, but not in an elevator, you know? <laughs> character isn't yeah, something... Elevator should just work. That's right. And uh, unfortunately, to replace the elevator would, you know, total the building pretty much. So they're not about to do that. Plus, there's uh, another building 
uh, that got refurbished right across the street, and the guy who owns the parking lot I'm parking in currently is going to usurp those spots for his building. So I'm basically screwed out of a parking spot. And uh, while the business is expanding, I don't really feel good putting money into a space that uh, is falling apart. Yeah, it's time to, to sort of got all the signs there. It's time to move. Yeah, so our lease is up in April 07. And um, looking at some space closer to the train station, right uh, right downtown. It's it's modern, like twenty five hundred square feet. It's plenty of room to grow. Awesome. But anyway, we don't want to hear about that. Um, so we got some email. Uh, I'm going to read one. You can read one, Richard. This one uh, is is from Carl Brown. Carl loved your DNR TV show on asynchronous programming in VB two thousand five. These are the things I look for. I believe you should personally do one show per month with you as the teacher, and you should cover general things that the books are failing to cover or provide to newbie users and the things mid-level developers have missed. I have several uh, other books from other publishers, and none of them covered the topic quite the way you did. I personally loved it, and I'm a true fan of your work. Oh, that's great. I'm wondering where this video was a year and a half ago when I needed it and the books. MSDN or other online source provided the details you did. I loved how you indicate right off the bat about whether or not to use a form, application, or console. Uh, These are crucial to new developers such as myself, and you can't buy that type of information you provided. I hope I'm not being overappreciative, but I just thought I would share my thoughts on your video. I have just entered the world of VMNet about two years ago with Framework 1.1, and now I've moved to .NET 2.0. And I'm doing a whole lot of swimming around trying to figure out things in a decent time frame. I find the cookbooks to be the greatest books alive for beginners such as myself. And that was reinforced to me at the recent VB.net user group meeting in Topeka, Kansas, uh, which was an INETA-sponsored event with Miguel Castro, who was great and informative. (laughs) Thanks, Carl Brown. All right, I got one, too. This one from Ed Myers. Ed and it says, uh, Carl, Mark, Rory, Richard 2000. What does that mean? <laughs> I think that and was he's the talking about the Mark thing. Miller show on discoverability, which is the one that I was away for. And right. So there was some other guy standing in for me. Yeah. Uh, great show. Mark Miller is a genius. A question came up about having a small color screen next to your computer that has discovery information on it. Most mm. developers purchase pocket PCs, which they never use, and have them sitting in docking stations next to their computers. Please put mine to good use. Love the shows. Keep them coming. Ed Myers. Not a bad idea. What a great idea. Because I got one sitting here, too, you know, the, and really not that tough to do if you could load a little piece of software in there and just pay passing messages uh, along the way to pop up that information. I think it, people go crazy for it. I'm still thinking of something cheap that mom would buy. So I like the idea for geeks, but I like a more um, uh, open, you know, a sort of general market device, too, that can really get some legs in the industry. Well, anyway, uh, keep those emails coming to .NET Rocks at Franklin's Net, D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S at Franklin's Net. And, you know, Richard, we haven't given out swag in a long time. This is something we used to do a lot on .NET Rocks, is give away mugs and cups. So Carl Brown... I'm going to send you a uh, a .NET Rocks mug, and uh, Ed, what do you think we should send Ed? Oh, I think my, Ed can get a mug, too. Yeah, mugs are good. You yeah. Know, they hold coffee. Coffee's something that you need for survival, right? And it's got our smiling faces on it. 
Yeah, although we're just going to give you the one with the logo because I think more people are buying the ones with just the logo than the ones. I think the ones with the blue and the faces on them, they, you can't read them. And, eh, I don't know. Didn't work out as well. Didn't work out as well for Coffee Mug. All right. Well, let's bring on Miguel. Miguel Castro, of course, is a consultant, author, speaker, and C-sharp MVP with over 20 years of IT experience. He's also president of the Infotech Consulting Group, where he provides consulting services to clients in the New York, New Jersey metro area. Miguel specializes in ASP.NET. He teaches hands-on ASP.NET classes for Dunn Training and Franklin's Net. And his current passion is custom web controls. His website is .netdude.com, and you can read his blog at geekswithblogs.com slash mcastro. Miguel is here to talk about the changes in custom web control development between ASP.NET 1.1 and 2.0. How you doing, man? I'm a little tired, but otherwise I'm doing good, Carla. I never thought I'd find myself saying this, but it's actually nice to be back in New Jersey. Yeah, you've been around the world, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I just came back from a three-city <laughs> user group tour in Kansas, as, uh, as one of your emails specified, Topeka. Yep. I had Kansas City, where I was down there with Jeff Julian, yep. and, uh, and all the way down in Wichita, Cessna country. Nice. Which, so, being a Cessna wow. pilot, holds a special place in my heart. Did you get to fly or see any planes? I did not. I didn't get to fly. In fact, I uh, completely the opposite. I got an extra four hours at Houston Airport because of a broken plane. Oh, isn't that lovely? It's great, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, you know what? If I have my laptop with me, uh, I'm perfectly happy. Miguel, last time you were up here, you were showing me your Tom Bin accessories. Tom Bin, of course, T-O-M-B-I-H-N.com. Uh, these guys make the best laptop bags and backpacks and gear. And, oh yeah, uh, they're awesome. Yeah, what was the what were the ones you were showing me? We we're talking about the inserts because the inserts to the brain bag, which we all have now, um, actually holds my XPS Gen two. And you yep. got a new laptop, and you were afraid that they wouldn't have an insert that fit, right? Exactly, but I got the same monolith insert that you got, the uh, size one, and it fits mine uh, perfectly. Uh, I actually called Tom Bin and told them that they should add that to their uh, to their fit list because it's not in there. And what was the other thing you got called? Um, well, I got I got two monoliths. I got one for my tablet and one for my uh, my laptops because I lug both of them around. But most there of was the time. there was some add-on that holds pens and oh yeah, stuff. the Freudian slip. That's it. The Freudian. I got slip. one of those too. Those are great. <laughs> those those are pretty awesome, especially if you're putting papers or folders and stuff in there. You don't have to right. just throw them in the pocket. You put them in one of these things. So well, the big thing is that they don't get pounded into the bottom when you throw the stuff on top. Right? Exactly. They don't get crushed. So exactly we're, we're right. huge fans of Tom Bin, and from time to time, they uh, show their appreciation by sending us stuff. And they sent us, uh, Richard and I, these two new bags that they're, they, they just came out with called the Imago. Yes. And, yes, and these bags are awesome. They're, they're small messenger shoulder bags, and uh, they come with two different, in two different styles. Uh, they can be like a shoulder bag, a messenger bag, or a laptop messenger bag. Um, they come in the yin and the yang. The yin is, they're both made of this stuff. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's called Cordura. And that's yes, Cordura. Well, cord- the brain bag's made of the same stuff. That's yeah. the thing about Tom Bin, right. is that they use these really incredibly indestructible materials to make their bags. So the Cordura, I looked it up, it's 10 times more durable than cotton duck, three times more durable than standard polyester, and twice as durable as standard nylon. This stuff is like, you can't. There's no such thing as I got a hole in my bag. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. 
It could stop bullets. No, I don't know. That's true. <laughs> no, it can't stop bullets. It can't but stop it can do just about everything else. That's right. But you know, it's, and it's not just those materials. They use the the YKK zippers, which are the self healing ones. They're basically indestructible. Yeah. They use the good quality side release buckles and yeah. the slider clips and stuff. So I mean, all of those different materials go together. The interesting thing about Tom Bin is they're bag makers who've moved into the laptop space. So they've right. already know, learned how to make a really good quality, durable bag. Yeah. And then everything's modern. Modular. You can, you know, we've all got brain bags, but we've all got different laptops. Yeah. It's just that the brain bag is the biggest bag and it carries the tanks. In fact, I carry two laptops in my bag and I think you do too, don't you, Miguel? I carry a laptop and a tablet, yeah. Me too, yeah. Right. But this little Imago bag, it carries my my uh, uh, tablet just fine. That's what it's for. It's right. something small, you know, normal sized, actually. Not small, normal. We're, we're all insane for carrying those tanks. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, in regular size lab, I just use this uh, on a run down to San Francisco where I had the, uh, my little tablet was all I needed. So I was just doing email and making notes and things and still had room for the cell phone and uh, and a book and mm-hmm. some magazines and so forth. And it just fit over the shoulder. Nice, comfortable bag. Yeah. So I shrinksterized the link to the Imago. It's shrinkster.com slash GZ8. Again, we're just huge fans of these guys and, and uh, all the geeks should be checking them out. So, Miguel, what are you... Uh what are you talking about now? Controls again? What am I always talking about, Carl? Now, you Jeez, know, every once man. in a while on a user group, I'll break it up and I'll talk about something else. But this, <laughs> you know, like, like I told you guys a long time ago, the, the web control world, or, or even the Windows control world, it's such a huge, huge yeah. world. It's such a m- monstrous amount of technology. Um, I'm constantly learning new things. Sure. So I want to share with you today some of the new stuff that I've uh, that I've been evangelizing about at DS Live conferences. As a matter of fact, it was one of the uh, one of the best rated talks in uh, several DS Lives, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I, I believe it. I mean, we had some incredible feedback on the first show that you did on web controls on DNR. Um, just people were just like, "Thank you. This stuff is so confusing. The documentation is poor, and uh, there doesn't seem there don't seem to be any really good samples in the documentation." And, um, you know, I, I tell you, people really, really appreciate the work that you've done on these. Well, it makes, me, uh, it makes me feel good. And I have a lot of fun. But let me just add one thing. Even though I have a lot of fun, I, I just came back from Kansas where I did my, what's kind of become my trademark talk, hitting the ground running with custom web controls. And it's mm-hmm. based on what we did in DNR TV in episode one and two. Yeah. And I did this talk three days in a row in three different cities. And as much as I love to talk about this, Carl, I have a whole new level of respect for you and Richard and what you guys did in that damn RV. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only did this three times. You guys did, what, 22 or something like yeah. that? Yeah. you got to have a strong stomach for repetition. That's Whoa. true. There you go. Whoa. 20 times in 30 days. Yeah. My God. Oh, you're better man than me. That was insane. But and I had fun. It's you, just nice you, to be you'll home. notice we haven't done another one. Yeah, our wives said, don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm taking advantage of it now because my wife and my daughter are visiting grandma and grandpa in the uh, Eastern European country of Belarus. All right, man. So let's talk about composite control, the new base class in 2.0. That's the first thing. I, I got like five or six different points today. And the first one is just that, the composite control class. That's the, that's the easiest thing to talk about today. That's a brand new base class that we get now. I, I've taught everybody over the past couple of years that, you know, you inherit visual controls from the web control class. Yeah. 
but there's always a couple of extra things you got to do in the web control with the web control uh, inheriting, and that is the implementation of iNaming container, yes, which guarantees unique naming for child elements when they're rendered. And uh, you know, if you don't understand what's happening behind the scenes with iNaming container, it doesn't matter. The only thing you have to remember is, for God's sake, don't forget to implement it. Yeah, and if you do, you're you're if, screwed. For, if you do, you're screwed. You get a huge, huge amount of problems. Yeah, but it's such an important piece of in, of, of detail in writing controls that. My Microsoft finally did what a lot of us control developers have been doing for a long time, mm. and that is writing a new base class. It has all this goo in it. So what exactly. do we get with this? Uh, well, com- with composite control. control, you get three three primary things. You get first of all the implement composite control inherits from web control, right? And then it automatically implements a naming container, so you no longer have to remember to do it. Okay. The second thing it does is that it automatically overrides two things in the control world to call to stick and ensure child controls in front of it. Uh, that's the render method and the controls collection. Right. The controls collection property. Uh, both those things are overridden, and then before their base is called, an ensure child controls method is called on there, and that ensures that the child controls collection gets built appropriately mm. for the control to uh, to render on the design surface in Visual right. Studio. Now, if you're if you're unfamiliar with what we're talking about, go and listen to the first show Miguel did on composite controls. Because there's, you're not good. What I'm saying is, this is still really, really good information. This first show that we did, and it's almost critical for listening to these new updates. So rather than repeat ourselves, just go back and listen to that first show. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so those are the three things that the composite control class does, and it's three things that a lot of control developers had to do in the class of their own that they use as their own base class. Well, now we have an actual uh, base class built into the framework to do this for us. So, Miguel, one of the biggest pains that I've come across in you know when building custom controls is dealing with state and you know property bags and state bags and and view state and and styles and things like that. Is that mm-hmm. got, has that stuff gotten easier? Well, it really hasn't changed much. The view state, the, you know, using the view state property, and then, of course, for, uh, for non-serializable objects, using the save view state and load view state method overrides for right. classes, for, for types such as the style cl- uh, object, mm-hmm. uh, which we talked about, you know, in detail in that other episode. Yeah. Um, none of that has really changed. But a problem that we've always had with state is the fact that we only have so much control over it. The page developer has the ability to turn off the enable view state property that all our controls are going to have. Yeah. Okay. Thus, you know, depending on how we coded our controls, thus possibly rendering it useless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, also, you can turn off enable view state at the page level. And you could also turn it off at the web config level, which, of course, you know, turns it off for your entire site. Um, and now I'll give you a wild guess. If you can turn it off in the web config, where else do you think you can turn it off? Machine config. Exactly. I always <laughs> tell people at the user groups, so wouldn't that be an awesome practical joke to play on somebody, right? That would be right? horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do but, that. But but you can do it. And, uh, you know, we, we take all this time to use state properly, uh, and you got to use it properly because, you know, you can overbloat the view state very easily if you don't use it properly. Um, but we can always have somebody come in and turn it off on us and, uh, and render our controls either wrong or just totally useless. So Microsoft gave us something new called control state. 
and control state is only available in controls. It's not available on web forms, unlike view state, which you could actually use to set up properties in web forms. Right. Uh, control state does not have a variable like the view state variable. Hmm. It only works by overriding methods. But the way that you override the methods is 100% identical to the way you override save view state and load view state. And can you guess what the methods are called, Carl? Uh, maybe save and load. Save control state and load control state, right? <laughs> and they work. They, they work exactly the same. You know, the, the save view state or save control state returns an object type, and that object type gets sent into the argument of load control state, so you can repopulate all your information. Sounds and good. Uh, you use it to store properties that you do not want to give the page developer the ability to turn off on you. Control state cannot be turned off at all. All right. Which is really really cool. Now, one other thing about control state is that you got to use good judgment when you use it. You know, the fact that you have the ability to basically flip off the page developer saying you can't turn me off now does not mean you should go ahead and change every single property you have to use control state. Yeah. Um, use some good judgment. You know, some good web form developers out there have good reasons for turning state off. They may actually want to just repopulate the properties on every post back and not deal with the bloating of the view state variable. Right. So that's why they do that. So, you know, some of them actually have legitimate reasons. Uh, don't, just, uh, don't just change that by putting everything in control state. Split your properties up. Uh, a, a decent rule of thumb that I've been going by is a lot of critical behavior and data-oriented properties I would put in control state. And all my appearance properties I leave in view state. Great. And if the page developer turns view state off, the control will work. It just won't look pretty. It's up to them to repopulate the appearance properties on every post back. Okay. Hey, Miguel, hold that thought. I just want to remind the listeners, you are listening to .NET Rocks at .NET Rocks.com. And this portion of DNR is brought to you by our friends at Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET applications online at www.telerik.com. Miguel, you've used the Telerik controls, right? Oh yeah, I'm I'm very familiar with them, and I uh, I evangelize them every chance I get. They're a fantastic suite of controls. Fantastic. We used to ask people on the road trip how many people use Telerik controls, and the people that raise their hands say they're the best stuff uh, they've ever had. You know, there's only a handful of component vendors out there that have such a a diehard grasp on Ajax technology. Yeah, and they're they're definitely one of them. They were really early into the Ajax stuff. Yep. Hey, Miguel, how, in your experience being out in the field, how often are you running into view state bloat totally out of control? All the time. All, all the time. And there's one particular control that's super guilty of view state bloat, okay? I'm, I'm going to give you a, 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 the ability to take a wild guess to what that control is. I think is. that might be some sort of grid. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's the data grid <laughs> or the grid. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Now, where I run into a problem uh, with sites that I look at that have view state problems is the ones that not only have grids on them, but that have grids and entry data entry forms on the same page. Mm. Right. So what happens is that you have no choice but to use view state because what you're doing is that you're using the grid as an entry point into an editing form, which I agree 100% with. I'm not a big fan of inline row editing for on the data grid. Yeah. I like using the grid as an entry point to another form where you edit 
your, your record in an entry, in a data entry form. But a lot of people seem to like to put that data entry form either to the right of the grid or maybe right below it. And then when you click on the edit button, it actually posts back to the page and displays the data entry form. Yeah. But for the grid to maintain its state during that postback, you needed view state. And that's where you run into some view state bloat problems. The big problem with the grid is that not only does it carry the data that you're seeing in the in the you know in the controlled in the table elements themselves everything. but all of that is then you know serialized into view state and shoved down to the user that's correct that's correct you know my recommendation to people is that you 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 take your entire site design into consideration when you're when you're doing this stuff and you, you when you think about view state on every page uh, you think about is it going to be a problem and in this particular circumstance that I just explained to you it is going to be a problem so what's the solution well my personal preference is to pages that have grids on them I typically tend to turn view state off on those pages and use the grid only as an entry point a navigation point to another page you know what I do is I save the view state information on the server either in a session variable if there's enough session guts to, to manage it or write it to a file by overriding a couple of uh, members on the on the page class, that's, which is... That's definitely an alternative. Yeah, but uh, then and, you have and, weird back button issues. Uh, it's not quite the same behavior, so you got to be aware of that. But if Richard, I think I know why you asked that question. Well, it's certainly something that we've been looking at with the, the Strange Loop project that we're, you know, you're... I'm spending more and more time talking to people about large-scale websites. I've certainly worked on a bunch, uh, but the more people I talk to, the more we realize, wow, view state's really gotten out of control. We're talking 50 60% of the bytes in a page now is just this property bag. Oh, easily, easily. Miguel, I don't know if you know this, but Richard's involved in this project that uh, is putting uh, is making routers that have the view state and session data stored and stripped off at the router level. Yep. So yep. Never... you gave me the whole rundown on that. Yeah. That sounds very exciting. Actually. Very exciting. Yep. I think we actually closed the bar talking about that, didn't we, Richard? Uh, quite possibly. And <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping I can put some in your hands in a few more months so you can actually try them out. Me too. Awesome. I'm, I'm really excited about awesome. that, Richard. Looking forward to it. All right. So getting back to the uh, composite control, what about smart tags? Oh, smart tags are great. Smart tags are um, they're available in both Windows controls and web controls. And the great thing is, is that the way you program them works the same. So well, what this is information a smart tag, I'm going to give you now is, say what? Well, what is a smart tag, first of well, all? A smart tag is, is it's, it's a pop-up window that will pop up on two different occasions. First of all, when you first drop the control onto a form. As soon as you drop the control onto a form, its smart tag opens up automatically. That's an inherent behavior. Um, The second way it pops up is if you click on the anchor, which is the little doohickey in the upper right-hand corner that comes with most controls now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I say most controls because if there's not a smart tag available on the control, you won't even see the anchor up there. And this is really a design time kind of... Pro, uh, a way to get to the property bags and this property windows. This is completely a design, a design time, but it's, it's a great design time aid because there's a lot of controls out there that have, let's say, you know, 25 different properties, right? Yeah. And three or four of them are absolutely necessary to get this control up and running. So right. you really would, would like a way to put those properties in the page developer's face as soon as they drop that control on the form. Nice. And that's what the smart tag is. It is not a replacement for the property browser. I tell people at user groups, I don't ever want to hear about anybody writing a scrollable smart tag. (laughs) 
Okay? <laughs> you don't want that much stuff on there. You just want enough to get the control working. Take a look at the SQL data source control, the declarative data source. When yeah. you drop that onto a form, the smart tag opens, and what does it give you? One piece of information, mm. create new connection, or, or, or what's the connection that you want? Because without a connection, the SQL data source is useless, right? Sure. So it puts that on there right away for you. And we now have the ability to write these things, and they're very, very easy to write. Awesome. Uh, auto format used to be a kind of a closed system. Is it still closed? And what I mean by that is the auto format property, or it's actually a design time thing where you can format fonts and colors and styles for calendars and grids and things like that. Is it still a closed system as far as you know? Uh, by closed, what do you mean? Not exposed for us to Yeah, be able no, to you put can't it. really add your own formatting styles Oh, absolutely to not. Totally the opposite. It is so easy to do now that it's, it's almost a shame not to put it in almost all your controls. That's how easy it is. Wow. It, it's unbelievably easy. You no longer have to do everything from scratch. Um, it, 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 it's a great thing. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that every single control, you know, I said that just to demonstrate how easy it is, but it doesn't mean that every control really needs to have an auto format. Well, you're saying that you can add it to your web controls, but I'm saying can you add styles to the auto format dialog box? Oh, the existing ones, you mean? Yeah. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know a way you can do it. I think if I dig around, I may be able to rig something or find out a way, but I don't think that there's any easy way to do that. Because I knew there was no, I, I knew that was a closed system in the actual uh, 1.1 framework, so I was just wondering. I think uh, I, it, it may still be closed. I don't know 100%. Uh, not or that it important. may just require a little tweaking here and there. But as far as adding it to your controls, that's extremely easy to do. And sure. you know, they want to explain exactly what auto format is for those that, uh, that, that may have no clue. Um, it, it's the, in, in 1.1 as well as 2.0, we used to have a little verb that says auto format in the bottom of the property browser on some controls. The grid is one that comes to mind. And when you click on it, you get a little Windows dialog box that pops up that gives you a list of some predefined styles like colorful one, two, and three, elegant, executive, corporate, um, you know, classic, those kind of things. And as you click on them, you actually see a little preview of your control with those styles applied. Nice. Um, that, adding that capability to controls today is extremely easy, and it's extremely useful if you're developing suites of controls. Or demoing. <laughs> or, de or demoing, right? For demos, yeah. Well, Microsoft used it in their security, their security suite, which we talked about extensively in the last DNR TV show. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft added uh, auto-formatting to all of those controls and with the same format list in each one. Uh, web resources. What's oh, that's that one about? of my favorites. That's one of my favorites, and I think, uh, I think Lori from, uh, from Huntsville wrote you an email Lori asking McKinney. about those. Um, I, I hope I got her name right. Yeah, Lori McKinney. Lori, yep. yep. Um, web resources are something that, that Windows programmers have had for a while, and that's we, have the, we now have the ability of embedding resource files, and uh, primarily images come to mind here, into the actual DLL of the control. In, into the DLL. So you no longer, you know, one of the bad things about, uh, the, one of the most pain in the butt things about writing controls that rely on a lot of images is that when you go to distribute them to your friends, you have to distribute the control and all the image files. And of course, they have to make the image files available from their website. Yeah. Now the images can be embedded into your DLL and the control has code. Where we, ha we now have new code that we can use to extract those images and use them. Now, what's your, what's your take on that? I mean, embedding images and controls works for things that aren't going to change so much, but I, I really like the idea of just basically linking to images in my pages. Here, here's my take on that. Do both. Don't, don't have an embedded image into your control 
and not have the ability to override it. That's okay. what I do. That's the practice that I follow. Mix the old with the new. In the old days, you have a certain portion of your control, a certain spot where you're going to have an image, right? And, of course, you would expose an image URL property of some sort okay. to map that image. I still expose that image URL. But in my code, I may have one or two default images, typically just one. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It's like you don't have to you don't have to go and program it if you don't want to, but if you need to, it's extensible. That's great. But you know, an example of an example of embedding a bunch of different types of images that all serve the same purpose mm. is included in the new tree view control that we get in two point Tree view, yeah. You know, where you can put it on a different mode and show the images on the left as uh, Microsoft Messenger icons or as folders and leaps and nodes. You know, all there's. I think there's like maybe ten or twelve uh, different choices there. Yeah. It would really suck if you could, before using the tree view control, had to go link to all of those little images. Ah, it would. But have you noticed you can use the tree view control now and distribute it, and you don't have to worry about finding those images? They're yeah. all embedded inside system.web.dll. That's awesome. It's very, very cool. Um, template editing. What's the story here? Well, template editing was something that was not... Uh, easily available in 1.1. You can add templates to controls, and I do a, a whole VS um, Live talk, actually, on, on how to add templates to controls, and it's a fantastic feature because I'm all about extensibility architecture, so this allows points of uh, visual extensibility in your controls. Right. But the ability to actually add things to there at the page level, and let me give you an example. Um, your grid, your basic grid, can have either a bound column or a templated column. And yeah. if you set up a templated column, that gives the page developer the ability to drag any other controls that they want into that column, which would then, of course, get repeated on every row. Hmm. Um, we're used to right-clicking on the grid and seeing the edit template show up, right? right? And then you see the different templates, item template, header template, alternating item template, and it puts the, 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 the control in template edit mode where we can then drag and drop stuff onto there. Um, getting that feature, that design time experience to work in 1.1 was a heck of a lot of code. I never wrote it. I found it on Google once and I used it. Um, it was just, it was a real pain in the butt. And I think Microsoft realized that the easiest way and what most people did was just not give their controls that functionality. And then what you would have to do is switch over to ASPX mode mm-hmm. in HTML and code your templates that way. Now we have the ability to give the designer surface experience template editing very, very easily with 2.0. Okay. This was possible in 1.1? It was possible, but it took a, a lot of work to do. And I can't, even, I can't even talk to you about what it took to do it, because like I said, I found the code, which was probably about three or four pages. Oh, wow. And I copied and pasted it and, uh, and used it. And honestly, I still didn't get it to work right. It takes a minimal amount of code now, and it's, a very, it's very easy to follow code. And these templates show up in the smart tag? Completely. Uh, automatically, yeah. Not only do you get them, if you right-click on a control, you'll see the edit templates there, like the way we're used to seeing them on Microsoft controls, but mm-hmm. you automatically get template editing built into your smart tag. If you didn't put a smart tag on your control, but you have template editing capability, the smart tag will show up. It will build one automatically for you. Wow. Same thing with auto-format. You get auto-format link in a smart tag as well automatically. That's nice. All right, uh, and callbacks, Ajax. Callbacks is... Uh, Microsoft's implementation of AJAX for ASP.NET 2.0. It's, uh, it's an out-of-the-box solution for writing AJAX capability into your web forms and or your controls. 
And uh, I, I love it. I think it works very, very well. Uh, I've heard some people say that it's very limited because of the fact that, uh, that you can only pass strings back and forth. Now, this um, is not Atlas, right? Let's make this that is, this clear. This is not Atlas. No, no, no. I'll mention Atlas in a second. I just um, want to make it clear that we're not talking about Atlas here. No, no, we're not. Yeah. Uh, this is this is ASP.NET callbacks. This is something that is built into 2.0. You can use it today. Yep. Um, it's more powerful than you think because, like I said, some people think that it's limited because you know you can only pass strings back and forth. You can't pass objects, so they go. They prefer to go the AJAX.NET or the Anthem route. Um, the truth of the matter is that you're dealing with HTTP, so behind the scenes, you're only going to get strings back and forth anyway. Yeah. All those other products are just kind of putting a facade in front of it, right? Sure. To make it seem like you're passing objects. Um, the callback functionality is very powerful. Uh, we get a new interface that we can implement. Uh, that With that new interface comes a couple of methods. The methods allow us to perform all our server-side processing that gets initiated using a client call, a JavaScript call. Okay. Um, we can send only text back and forth. That's true. However, think about it. I can actually send, and I teach this in a user group talk, I can send an entire web control or a series of web controls the pipe back to the client as if it was text. Just serialized. Well, all right. you got to do, you know, with, with a web control, all you got to do is run it through a string writer and an HTML text writer, run its render control method, and you automatically get the HTML that that control is going to render. Beautiful. And that HTML, how big or how small, doesn't matter. It's still text. It's just a string. Right. And if you send that back up to a client and you replace the outer HTML property of an HTML element, you're basically re-rendering that entire control. Wow. That's so it's beautiful. more powerful than you think if you know these little tricks. That is well, really you, and amazing. You, you already said this, but that's the reality of dealing with the web. It's all text. Completely. Absolutely. Everything at one point or another in yep. all of this code is passing through text. That's right. So just because you're doing it yourself, don't discount it. That's yeah. right. But it's also part of the power because we can stick it to firewalls. Yeah. <laughs> right? <That's> right. <laughs> Yeah. Now, you know, callbacks are great and everything, but Microsoft's really, really pushing on the Atlas thing because Atlas is the next generation framework that is going to, I guess, in some ways, even replace the callback functionality that's built into 2.0 now, simply because it brings a lot more to the table. Plus, it brings a lot of new controls to the table that have a lot of the AJAX functionality built into them. Right. We did a great uh, show with Kent Alstott on Atlas. Oh, okay, that's right. That's right. Very, very good. And in the end, it's the same, the same reason we have libraries at all. What Atlas is going to do is take that callback functionality and wrap it up in a layer so that you don't that's have it. to understand it. Yeah. That's it. You know, I, I tell people this when I teach web control classes, um, that everything that we do in the ASP.NET side is simply to make the delivery of HTML and JavaScript easier for us. Yeah. You now think That's of ASP.NET right. as one giant code generator. The, the browser is still a stupid animal. It only speaks HTML. Right. Just, yeah, it never got to, any smarter when .NET got released. It never <laughs> did. .NET just gave us a, a, a cushy, a warm and cushy experience yeah. for for the delivery of that HTML. That's all. That's all ASP.NET does. Now, you know, the you... whole the whole magic of the postback mechanism is nothing more than just fancy wrapping around HTTP gets and HTTP posts, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Now, did you write an article about this on DevSource.com or something? Did I hear yeah, this right? Yeah, I wrote an article on, uh, on DevSource.com. It's a uh, Microsoft-sponsored uh, Ziff Davis site 
that um, that talks about callbacks, and uh, and I go through several examples in it, very from a very basic one to a more complex one on how you use it. So check that out. I've got a lot of good uh, emails uh, and response on that article because it teaches it very very um, very easily in a very basic way. I do a, a user group talk based on the content of that article. In fact, okay, and we'll link to that directly on the .NET Rock show. Sure. And uh, before we get into some detail about some of these technologies, I just want to mention that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Developer Express. Crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. Developer Express, obviously. Mark Miller, you know, Code Rush, Refactor, but they also have lots of other great tools. So check them out. You're still a Code Rush fan, are you, Miguel? Ah, are you kidding? Especially with 2.0 now, they just released 2.0. Let me tell you, the 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 the, the worst part I've always said about Code Rush is that unfortunately most people use about 10 percent of what it can do. It's just kind of like your brain. Yeah, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think I think that's going to change a lot now. Code Rush uh, 2.0 has a helper window that you can dock to the left or yeah. wherever you want, and it actually changes as you type keys to show you what the available code rush shortcuts pretty are. pretty awesome. I, I, um, we got to get Mark to, to do a demo for us on DNR TV. And you know, nobody can demo code rush like Miller. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's get into some details about some of these things. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's talk about smart tags. I'll, okay. I'll give you a brief tour on, on how easy it is to build a smart tag. Okay. Uh, a smart tag starts out as, uh, as an action list class. It's a separate class that you're writing. And uh, and this is good because you could all you know if you get creative you may figure out a way to share smart tags from one control to the other or maybe come up with an inheritance hierarchy of smart tags you know what I mean right uh, but it starts out as a class that inherits from the designer action list class the designer action list class is under system component model design you know I'm convinced that any class that Microsoft really couldn't figure out where they're going to put it they throw it into component model yeah. <laughs> it seems to be uh, that kind of namespace, you know? It, it is it's a catch-all. Catch right. You could never find out, where, where the hell is this class? I can't find it. Trust me, it's in system.component model. Well, somewhere. seriously, I mean, it can't be any lower <laughs> than that, right? I mean, or it can't be any higher up the chain because that's really where the component, all of the component goo comes from. Especially the stuff that is that is usable from Windows and web right. design. The common stuff. So we start by creating a class. So, um, you know, in, at the end of the show, I'll make sure your listeners have a link to where they can download this stuff, Carl. And uh, the enhance, all the enhancements that we're talking about today um, are done to that email contact control that we wrote in the first and second episode of DNR TV. Awesome. So I'll make sure you get a link to that to put up on your site. And um, what I did is that I created a class called Email Contact Action List that inherits from the Designer Action List class. And the first thing I do is I create a constructor overload to receive an instance of my class, of my control. Mm-hmm. So I have a constructor overload that receives an instance of email contact. Okay? Awesome. Uh, and then I, ex- I, I expand the scope of email contact by making it equivalent to a variable that I declared at the class level. So my end result here is that I want a class level variable that is going to be the actual control that we're applying the smart tag to. You understand? Sure. So then I start designing the smart tag, and there's three things that go into a smart tag. You could either have a property in there, you know, whether it's a string, a drop-down, it doesn't matter, but one of your properties, mm-hmm. or you can have links that actually perform actions, hmm. or you can have information items. 
that basically just show plain text. Hmm. So the first thing that I do is figure out, okay, I want a couple of properties here. So I got two properties that I decided I want in my smart tag. One of them is called mail server. The other one's predefined display. And these are just a couple of string properties. And I create property statements in the action list class that map to the properties in that control that I brought in through the constructor. You understand? So you just implement the properties and then pass them through to the control properties. Exactly. I just create two properties, one called mail server, one called predefined display. The getter returns the mail server property from the control. Okay. Now, the setter is going to set the mail property in the control, but it's it's important to note that you just can't say my control dot mail server equals value. Uh, you have to use reflection to set it. Um, the, the explanation that's given in the Microsoft documentation is that if you put a, setter, a regular property set in there, that kind of code is going to circumvent the design time services, sure. like property window refreshing. Sure. So the, the, way, the, the recommended way of actually setting the property is to use the type descriptor. And if you download the code, you'll see exactly how I did that. I have a little, just a little get control property method that accesses a property using reflection, and then I can use set value to set it. Now, so you're talking about inside the setter in your... Exactly, inside the property setter. That's that correct. you're writing. All right, exactly. you, you can't just set the, the mail property. You can't just set it. You have to access it using reflection and then use set value I to see. set the new value. And, and you can just set it. It just isn't going to work right if you do that. Yeah. You're not going to get the, the design time experience that you're looking for. Sure. Your property browser is probably not going to reflect the change that Got your it. smart tag just sent. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So it's once it's you an got, important booby trap that the guy's going to write the code the easy way and then complain that the thing is broken because it doesn't work right. And that's, well, that's why you to listen to .NET Rocks. That's what, that's, there what you go. that's what happened to me, Richard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only I had no one to complain to. <laughs> so I actually... Uh, Contact your administrator. Oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I write all my property mappings. So you decide how many properties you want to put on your smart tag and, you know, keep the number low. Be you, Use good sense here. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to design what links I want in there. And I decided I want two links in the smart tag. One of them is going to say about, so I can show a little about box. And the other one is going to launch my website. It's going to open up a browser and launch my .NET Dude website, right? So I create two methods, two regular public subs or public voids. One says show about box. One says launch website. The show about box is basically instantiating an about form that I also write. You know, you just write a little Windows form with an about doohickey in it or something. And, uh, and I do a form show dialog on it. And the launch website method, I use the uh, systems.diagnostics.process.start class to actually launch the browser and send my website up. Diagnostics.start or yeah, process? Yeah, if, if you say system.diagnostics.process.start, process and then in the, uh, in the argument, you just put an HTTP address, a URL, yeah. it'll open up the browser and launch that site. Yep. So I create two methods that actually perform the actions that I want my links to do, right? Mm-hmm. So I have my property set up and I have my method set up for my links. So now I actually have to build the smart tag. And you build the smart tag in one place. Since we inherited from the designer action list class, we're giving something called the get sorted action items uh, function that we're going to tap into. We're going to override it. And the get sorted action items function is going to return a designer action item collection. (laughs) (laughs) Which, which of course, is stored in system.component model like everything else. Of course. Welcome to Three Geeks Talking About Code. Hey, you want you wanted a geeky show? You got a geeky show. <laughs> so, the next line of code is if 
blah, blah. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's the danger of talking about code on an audio show, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Well, this, this, this would make a great, uh, great TV one, too. And it will. The, um, the, the, the designer is going to actually look at that property, at that function, get sorted action items to, to get the collection that it needs to put its smart tag on the screen to visualize okay. it. So we're going to tap into it, and we're going to use the properties and methods that we just wrote. So in this, in this method override, the first thing that I do is that I create a new collection of type designer action item collection. So I have a regular collection that I, uh, object that I just instantiated as that kind of collection, okay? And then I'm going to add things to it. And there's four types of classes that are valid to add to this collection. And all four of them derive from designer action item. Okay. The first one is called designer action header item. And that's because the smart tag, if you ever looked at a large smart tag, you can see that it's, it could actually be broken down into categories. You don't have to just list every property and link out under each other. You can break it down logically. So we can design header items with a class called designer action header item. And the constructor of that class takes the name of our category, the name of our header. As that's simple beautiful. As that. So I'm taking the, uh, in my particular case, I've taken that collection object that I just instantiated, and I'm adding to it three instances of designer action header item, and I'm sending the, head, the category headers in the constructor of each one. And I have three here. I have appearance and behavior, I have support, and I have information. That sounds easy. Very simple. The next thing I'm going to add into that collection is that I'm going to add my properties. And remember, I had two properties, mail server and predefined display. Right. And I'm going to add those exactly the same way. I'm adding all, all everything I'm doing here is that I'm adding instances of classes to that collection. Okay. The two instances that I'm adding now are instances of designer action property item. That's easy. And in, their, in that constructor, I'm sending to it the name of, a, of each property. I'm sending to it what the caption of the property is going to look like. And I'm sending to it the name of the category that I wanted to fall under. And remember, I just added those categories in the step before. Yeah. And automatically, those properties are going to be put under the appropriate category that I gave it. That's awesome. What a great design. It's, it's a very simple, very, very simple design. And that's, why, that's what makes it so awesome is that it's just it's a sim, sim, the, the simplicity. Miguel, you know, you, you'd, you're one of these guys, I bet, that would be really happy designing you know, these framework controls from at Microsoft, don't you think? I mean, yeah, I'm not I guess, saying... I guess so. I don't know. I've thought about that before. I, uh, I just, I, I love doing it for the community and for actual end-user clients. I, um, you know, it's... Everybody at Microsoft knows about web controls. They know the power. You know, yeah. my customers do not. Part yeah. of the joy of my work is to actually show them this power. That's a good point. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. uh, that's where that's where I really get off on it, and and also talking about it at user groups, you know, yeah. get, get, getting new disciples everywhere I go, and I have I have no choice but to call them that because I love keeping I keep in touch with a bunch of people from user groups that send me controls, you know. I, I wasn't trying to say you know you should quit your job, but um, I'm saying I'm saying I mean this kind of work. I mean when I hear when I see designs like this, I I think. Oh yeah, man! I wish I came up with that. That sounds. <laughs> I would love to sit around designing these things, you know, trying to make yep. the best the best architecture for the end user and still give them the the trade offs between power and flexibility. I mean, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's the that's the plus side of delivering software. Yeah. Yeah. The downside is making those compromises that you just can't get past, and you have to keep explaining to people. Well, we tried it that way, and it didn't work, and this is why it sucks. Yeah. Right. That's right. Right. Well, um, and then there's that other thing, uh, Richard. What do they call it? Oh yeah, deadlines. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Speaking of deadlines, we have a, one more uh, sponsor announcement here. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends over at Inner Workings, who also sponsored the .NET Rocks road trip. Inside Visual Studio 2005, you can take any number of programming challenges on topics as varied as .NET security, message queuing, XML and web services, data binding, and OOP fundamentals. Once you completed a drill, the developer interface will judge your code, giving you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And and if you fail, it shows you where you went uh, wrong and where you can improve your skills. So I wholeheartedly encourage you to go to www.innerworkings.com, download the free drills, take them for a test spin, and upgrade your skill set today. This is really cool stuff, and and I don't know if you know this, guys, but they've recently changed their pricing model. Much, much less expensive uh, now. Cool. In fact, I think they're they're shooting for like twenty nine bucks for a drill or something like that. So maybe Microsoft will uh, do that uh, with their example with Team System. Yeah, I hope. I hope so. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but well, Team Foundation Server. Uh, little bit of a discrepancy with the pricing model there oh pricing yeah 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 yeah. yeah. i thought you meant the product yeah. like demos so they so they, anyway they have lots of great drills that uh that you do inside visual studio good stuff yeah they've i just checked the site out and yeah all, all these things are 29.95 now yeah so they're really really affordable and that doesn't mean that the you know oh we couldn't sell any at 600 so you know we decided to lower the they're just trying to get as many people to use their stuff as as humanly possible it's a great idea. Yeah. Well, and the, and the list is growing so much. I mean, they're making so many different uh, drills now. It's amazing. Yeah. The whole concept of what they're doing, once again, the simplicity, it's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the training right inside Visual Studio, integrated right inside Visual Studio is fantastic. And with some feedback, hey, you didn't do this right. You know, you got to set this property to this rather than yep. that or whatever. Very cool. All right. So let's uh, pick apart one more thing to dig ourselves into. A little deeper. Well, we didn't we didn't finish this. I can finish it in just a few seconds if you want. Oh sure, let's wrap yeah, it up. That, there's the, the remember there was I told you there was four items that we're adding to this collection. We already added a header item and a property item. The next one we're adding is designer action method items. Okay. And we're adding instance of those classes, and we're in the constructor. We're showed we're shooting in there the names of the methods that I added earlier. Remember, show about box and launch website. Right. And of course, the caption that the link is going to show, and the name of the header that we actually wanted to fall under. In this case, I wanted to go under support. And right, the last okay. item is something called designer action text item. And its constructor is nothing more than just whatever text I want to show. Right. And then the second argument in the constructor is the category you want it to fall under. So we've added properties, we've added links, we've added um, information items, we've added header items. These text items are, are just basically informational just you know the first thing you ought to do is set this property and that property you know just I know that or like in mine in mine I have ID I show oh. the actual ID of my control oh that's a good idea yep I have it under right. a category called information 
Huh. So you can put whatever you want in there. After you've done that, your action list class is complete. All you have to do now is wire it to your control. And you do that in our good old friend, the control designer, something that's probably a little beyond the scope of today's talk, but the, com- the composite control designer class is the base class for all control designers, and it gives you all sorts of different things that you can override to give a better design time experience. Remember, this is all design time. This is Visual Studio. Right. This is not runtime. So this is all for the page developer to give them a warm and fuzzy feeling that they're going in the right direction. And there is a override, a property override in the control designer called action lists. And you override that property. And in there, you instantiate a new class as type of designer action list collection. Mm-hmm. And you add to that class an instance of the action list class that we just created. Hmm. And okay. you send to it in the constructor an instance of your control. Beautiful. And that's why we created a constructor overload to receive our control, because we're sending it in here. Yeah. So that's how you wire it. And this, of course, will make a lot more sense when your listeners download some code. But the important thing to understand here is that we created our smart tag in a separate class called the action list. And then we're adding an instance of that class to this action list's collection override in the uh, designer. But what does that tell you? That tells you you can also add another action list class in here. So depending on what you're trying to accomplish and how you architect your system, you can have many different action list class that are shared by different controls. Nice. So it's, it's, it's a very, very cool and very simple architecture that they came up with here. Miguel, you brought up the designer, the control designer. And I know in 1.1, making control designers was so, so sort of, I mean, a, a place where you could design your own composite controls. The the user control, which is a totally different thing and not even a control, has this WYSIWYG designer, but there really isn't any control designer. Uh, but you can make your own control designers specific to the controls that you're designing and implement those, but it really isn't anything that I ever saw anybody do because it's just too much work. Well, that's because there's so much you can do in there. Well, the, what most people do is just drag an instance of the control onto a page and then just flip back and refresh it. Right. You know, as they're writing the code. But what about in two O? Is there any sort of WYSIWYG web control designer? No, there is no WYSIWYG. The control designer still works exactly the way it did in one point one, okay. with the addition of all these new things that they added into there. All right. The control designer is to give your control um, interactivity and other type of visuality at design time. And okay. what I mean by the type of visuality is think of something like the grid. The grid at runtime with zero data in it is not going to render into anything, right? Right. But at design time, you don't want that effect. You want some dummy data there so you can see what your grid's going to look like. Right. That's part of the job of the control designer. I see. So it's And then stuff like what we just talked about, control designers use for that as well. Right. And the difference between just putting the control on a page is that that's just a read-only, a view-only experience where you can't really interact with it visually. You still have to write the code. That's, that's correct. But there are other things that you can do. And with the help of the designer, the designer gives you, for example, a mouse click, a click event that you can override. Hmm. And that actually is the click that takes place in the design surface. Right. So you can trap what takes place in the design surface when somebody right clicks or left clicks on your control. That's cool. And act upon that if you need to. Sure. Do you, do you think uh, using writing your own designers for your own controls is worth it? 
if you if you need to, everything's worth it, of course. Um, I mean, you, you and I you are both guys that like to just write the code and see what it looks like. You know, I mean, I don't really need a designer. Well, I'll tell you what, se, if you don't but... need to create a smart tag, if you don't need to add auto format capability, if you don't need to add template editing, and if you don't want your control to look different at design time than it does at runtime, mm. then you really have no need for a control designer. Okay, good. All right, moving on. All right. Uh, another thing that we can get into some detail in is auto formatting, of course, just simply because it's one of the coolest things you could ever see. We got they about time for one more in-depth uh, okay. topic. Is this a good one? Um, well, in that case, let, 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 let me talk about web resources because I know specifically it was important to somebody that wrote in about it, and it's a, and it's a very important feature. All right, very good. Uh, and it's easy to explain. Um, so I have my email contact control here in front of me, and um, I have a little mailbox icon that I wanted to show in the upper left-hand corner of the heading. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what I have is I have a mailbox.gif that's part of my control project. Yeah, okay? okay. It's just a little GIF in there that I uh, stole off a site, probably stole it off Carl and Gary's Visual Basic site like I did every other uh, image on there. That, that's a GIF, <laughs> by the way. Miguel, GIF. Say, say what? G- g- GIF, graphics, GIF. GIF, okay, yeah, yeah, all GIF. right. GIF so is anyway, peanut butter. So I, I add the GIF to the, uh, to the web control project. Uh, uh, project. The first thing that I got to do is the part that I always forget. So okay. I want to make sure that I don't forget it now because it's going to drive listeners crazy. You go over to the properties window and you change the build action to embedded resource. Uh-huh. If you don't do that, you're uh, SOL. Mm. You're you got to remember to do that. Basically. So yeah. after I do that, I am going to go to my assembly info file and I am going to add that, G- that GIF, excuse me, <laughs> as a web resource. Okay. And I'm doing that by adding an assembly attribute, an assembly uh, declaration. You know how that works. Uh, In BB, it's with the uh, angle brackets and square brackets in C Sharp. So assembly colon, web resource. And I think the namespace for web resource may be system.reflection, if I'm not. No, it's not system.reflection. I'm sorry. It's it's system.web.ui. So you've got to, of course, import system.web.ui. So you say web resource, and in parentheses, you're going to give it two items of information. The first one is the name of the uh, image or the name of the file. In this case, it's a GIF. So I say mailbox.gif. The second one is a content type in standard content type notation, which of course would be image slash GIF in this case. Okay. All right? Yep. And once that's declared there, it gets compiled into our DLL. So now the only thing we have left to do is to pull it out, to actually use it. And to use it, we use a method that's off the page.client script object that's accessible from our control mm-hmm. called get web resource URL. Easy. And two things you send into that method. The first one is the type of your control. So you can say me.get type or uh, type of uh, or this.get type. Cool. And then the second argument is just the name of that file, mailbox.gif. And I can take that entire thing and dump it right into the image URL property of an image child control that I happen to have reserved on my on my web control. Damn it, this ASP.NET stuff is too hard. I'm we're we're not going to use this <laughs> stuff anymore. We're, now we're, we're going to go po- back to uh, Fusion, whatever it is. <laughs> I, I want to point out the best practice that you mentioned earlier, Carl, because it's definitely an important point, and that is that I also have a property on my control called heading image URL. Okay. And what I'm doing is that I'm checking to see if that property, which is a string, is not set to nothing. And if it's not null, I set the image URL of my child control to that property instead. But if it is blank, then I set it to the get web resource URL. 
That okay. way you're giving the best of both worlds. You're giving people the ability to override the image with something they want to put in there. All right. Very and good. I actually put a Boolean in there, too, called Show Image, so they can just turn it off altogether. You know, you are the king of, of giving the control user ultimate control. I noticed this early on when you gave us your uh, controls for the, 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 the photo gallery. Uh-huh. There was just way more properties for allowing this, allowing that, not allowing this, not allowing that than I've ever seen in a web control. More market, man. No, it's, it's great. Uh, it's great. You want as many yeah. people to use it as possible. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it seems like you sit around, you know, after it's all done and say, all right, how can I make this even more extensive? You know? So that's good. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure your program, your, your, uh, the people who use your controls do as well. Where can we get these, uh, this stuff, this you, source code? You can code? get this. If you go to .netdude.com, I'll make sure you get the, the, uh, the zip also crawl if you want to link to it somewhere. But if you okay. go to .netdude.com, in the download section, there's a link on top that says user group downloads. And this comes from a user group download called Web Control Enhancements and ASP.NET 2.0. Awesome. Hey, uh, real quick, you've seen anything online lately that strikes your fancy? Uh, any toys, new toys, or uh, ooh, software? Or you know what? Games? I haven't I haven't downloaded stuff since I since I built my laptop websites? and I decided I was going to stay away from that. You know, haphazard downloading. How about websites or or toys or anything new? I thought I had a couple of toys that I that I sent you, and I can't remember now. Carl, I've been I've been so um, <laughs> you know I'm not doing any client work right now. I'm trying to get a couple of products out the door, and yeah. I've been so buried in that. I haven't even had time for surfing, man. All right, and we'll let you uh, go this time. <laughs> hey, you could have always said Skype, man. That's that's just the <laughs> defect. Yeah, that's true. Or, or MSN Search, like all the Microsoft guys. Right, right, right yeah. <laughs> Miguel, thanks very much for for uh, joining us, and we'll definitely make a DNR TV out of this soon. Cool, cool. It's been a pleasure as usual. All right. Enjoy I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not there in person this time. This is the first time we've done this remotely. That's true. Well, you sound, you know, just as Cuban over the phone, so it's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, man. You're and I'll awesome. see you next week, Carl. All right. And join us next week on .NET Rocks when Mary Jo Foley and Daryl Taft will be here in Pwop Studios for an all-out catfight smackdown. You don't want to miss that. See you next week. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl Never Sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Toy Boy! Life is hard, pay my taxes